Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is The Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Coming up, we work our way through a Christmas wish list for taxpayers with our friend Franco Terrazano of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. The Andrew Lawton Show starts right now. Hello and welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show, The Andrew Lawton Show here on True North. Just a few days until Christmas and then we have a week after that, the new year beginning. So it is time for us to put all of our cards on the table and and demand what it is that we want from our lawmakers, perhaps New Year's resolutions, maybe holiday gifts, you never know. The Canadian Taxpayers Federation has done exactly that, a taxpayer wish list, courtesy of our friend Franco Terrazano, the federal director for the CTF, a dozen bills for MPs to introduce in Parliament. Some good stuff on there from uh, requiring transparency for corporate welfare, though I would say just perhaps ending corporate welfare, and ending automatic MP pay hikes, ending the gas tax on tax. Some good stuff, big and small here. But I thought it would be a good opportunity not just to talk about the taxpayer wish list for the coming year, but even just some of the general themes that we've seen from the past year and the year ahead from a taxpayer perspective. Franco, welcome. As always, good to talk to you, sir. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Now, do you think that you are going to get many of the things on your list from government, or do you think you're getting the uh, very expensive, heavily taxed coal? Well, yeah. Well, I mean, of course we're hoping so. I mean, the the reason that we put these specific policies and uh, potential bills out is because we, we were looking for something where we thought all politicians on all sides of the aisle can really get behind and move on. And we also wanted to to give opposition members, whether NDP, whether conservative or whatever, uh, an opportunity to put forward private members' bills. Because sometimes we hear uh, these opposition MPs throw their hands up and say, well, what do you want us to do? Well, what we want them to do is to get off their butts and start pushing some good private members' bill forward. Yeah, and I should say for context here, I mean, I think that if anyone were a, a fiscal hawk and they wanted to sit down and, and say, what are the, like, big sky, the sky is the limit ideas, they would come up with a list of, of you know, philosophical concepts that yeah. might be a little bit radical in the current political environment. I'd, I'd say all of these are inquirely, uh, entirely attainable. You know, as much as I would support you if you had said abolish the income tax, that's not the direction you've gone with this. Well, that's that's exactly right. We're, we're looking at the political climate and seeing what, where are some wins that we can do uh, to make taxpayers' lives a little bit better, right? Because taxpayers need some relief, uh, need a little bit more affordability in our lives, and we also need to reduce some government waste. And that's why we picked some some topics here that we thought that all politicians, no matter where you are, can agree on. And Andrew, you said, well, I would want to abolish corporate welfare. Well, of course, that's the Canadian Taxpayers Federation's position. Uh, but one of the reasons that we, we put forward a bill to improve transparency around corporate welfare is just to make sure that there's actually some type of fiscal guardrails over there in Ottawa. Yeah, and I'm of the belief here, and perhaps this is overly idealistic, but I don't think it is, that if there were more transparency and accountability, a lot of the things we'd see wouldn't happen, because I I think governments tend to take advantage of of how clouded and opaque a lot of these mechanisms are, and I think corporate welfare is a great example of that. Well, that's absolutely right. I mean, in in that piece of uh, that bill that we put forward on corporate welfare, we want to require every single member uh, member of parliament to be forced to vote in parliament before they gave a bunch of taxpayers money to businesses. And and we think that if they actually had to stand up with their names and vote on it, there'd be a whole lot less pork 
for certain handpicked businesses. Uh, one idea here that I think it's important to talk about, I mean, we've spoken about the carbon tax. The Liberal government has doubled down and tripled down and quadrupled down on this. So the carbon tax isn't going away. But you've noted to end the gas tax on tax. For, for people who don't know what that is, it's not like a new dance step. What is the gas tax on tax? <laughs> Well, it's completely unfair, Andrew. So so what happens here is that you have the federal government that charges its sales tax on top of the price of gas, but also on top of all the per liter fuel taxes. So you add up all the per liter fuel taxes on top of the price, and then they charge their sales tax on top of that. So it's completely, completely unfair. And essentially what it means is that when the price of gasoline rises or when the other fuel taxes rise, this tax on tax costs Canadian drivers more. Yeah, and it compounds. I mean, that's the whole nature of it. So you've got governments that are profiting through the back door on this thing that isn't itself they claim a tax. Well, that's that's exactly right. Uh, and speaking on profiting through the back door, another one on our list was to end the escalator tax on alcohol. Um, so far, we've seen uh, alcohol taxes go up twice during the pandemic. They're getting ready to go up again in 2022. Um, uh, now, this escalator tax, it was brought in in the 2017 budget, and what it does is that it increases federal alcohol taxes every year by the rate of inflation. Now, obviously, this is redu this reduces affordability, but there's even a more pernicious element here, right? It allows our politicians to increase their tax take uh, without actually voting in Parliament. It allows them to duck accountability. Now, of course, at the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, we are against higher alcohol taxes. But if you're a politician and you want to increase taxes, at the very least, you should have the spine to stand up in Parliament and vote on it. Yeah, and I mean, as I understand it, that's something that is constitutionally required. Taxes have to be very transparently and directly put into place. So the idea of an escalator tax, and I know that's be, that is a legal mechanism, but it certainly would contravene the spirit of the law, which is that governments have to be very clear in demarcating, yes, this is a tax. Well, it certainly goes against that uh, the very important principle, which is no taxation without representation. Yeah, very much so. So uh, let's, t I mean, we'll return to the list in a moment, but I want to talk about some of the bigger picture themes here, because I, I think most people would agree that the pandemic has been a disaster for taxpayers. And I, I know that there are probably some arguments, in fact, many arguments in favor of the idea that if government's going to say you can't work, it has to fill that economic void in a way. And I, I know that every country around the world has put forward billions and trillions of dollars of, of pandemic response mechanisms. So some levels of big spending were, were inevitable here. But I, I know that at the same time, that's no excuse for just not paying attention to fiscal restraint, which seems to be where we've gone as a country. Well, let, Leah, let me just piggyback off that, right? Yeah. I, you've heard a lot of people who have um, have said, well, you know, spending has gone up because of the pandemic. Well, if you look at the spending in, in 2020, the vast majority of the federal government spending is not related to COVID-19, even during 2020. And then Andrew, let's look back to pre-pandemic. Well, in 2018, the federal government was spending all-time highs. 
the Trudeau government was spending in 2018 more than in any single year during World War II when the federal government was spending that. So, so we have to remember that context of the massive spending that was going on even before the pandemic. And Andrew, let's take a quick look ahead until 2026, which is what is covered under the last budget. Well, the federal government is using the cloud of COVID-19 to go on a debt-fueled spending binge. By 2026, Finance Minister Christia Freeland wants to increase permanent federal government spending by more than $100 billion. And that's in 2026. That is years after COVID-19 first touched down. And I know there was that report from the Parliamentary Budget Officer a little while ago that we were on track to run up deficits until I think it was like 2070 or 2072 or something like that. Has there been any shift in that? (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, 2070, five decades of deficits, it would end up costing us, what, $3.8 trillion just in interest charges on the debt. Now, Andrew, that that report was based off a budget 2021, which means that report was before the last federal election. And and we just saw uh, all major party leaders, what seemed to be them tripping over themselves, trying to promise even more spending. So if anything, I, I think the fiscal situation may be even looking worse. Yeah, I mean, let's talk about that. Not just the election platforms, but for, for a moment, the election itself. This was the the Seinfeld of elections, many people said. The election about nothing kicked us right back where we started as far as seats uh, are concerned and government's concerned, but uh, not an inexpensive endeavor. Well, this could have been the uh, most expensive election in Canadian history. We saw estimates saying that this could cost us 600 million dollars but but andrew that's not even the real full cost that taxpayers need to be worried about we need to be worried about paying for these election promises um the liberal party they wanted to spend 78 billion dollars more than the last than their last budget which was a huge spending budget as we just talked about um so what we heard from the liberal party was was more borrowing but we didn't hear a peep from them on when they're going to balance the budget and i think if you look at trudeau's track record remember back in 2014 he said the budget would balance itself obviously that didn't happen then you look when he's running for prime minister first in 2015 he said he would balance the budget by 2019 well of course he missed that target by a country mile so i think if you look at the track record of prime minister justin trudeau then you look at his liberal party's promises in the last election i think it's a good bet that the liberals will never balance the books Yeah, and I I know you had pointed out during the election that no party was really putting forward a a solid vision that gave a clear path towards balancing the budget. I mean, at least Aaron O'Toole and the Conservatives were talking about the importance of balancing the budget. They said they would do it within 10 years, but not really a concrete plan on on how to get there. So are are you concerned that a lot of these things are, are just no longer relevant in the Canadian political discourse? Well, let's talk about what the Conservatives put forward, right? Uh, so I guess a little bit of kudos for men- mentioning that they would balance the budget, but I mean, <laughs> yeah, they, they, they at least pretended it mattered. Yeah, it was in the platform, uh, um, but even O'Toole's plan was not credible. Uh, he, like, we're talking about the largest amount of, of federal government spending pre-pandemic, and then this massively bloated budget. O'Toole could barely find any places to save some money. Uh, the reverse was actually true. He wanted to outspend the Liberal budget by about $50 billion, right? So if we just heard from the PBO that we would see, we would not see a balanced budget until 2020. 2070, then O'Toole comes around and wants to spend billions of dollars more, 
Well, how is he going to balance the budget decades sooner? I mean, that math just did not add up. And Andrew, I, I you know, I'm concerned that politicians are are trying to ignore the one trillion dollar elephant in the room, which of course is the federal debt. But I think Canadians are 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 really concerned about it. You know, a lot of people that I, I that I talk to have real uh, two real concerns. The first one is just cost of living, the pocketbook stuff. Um, they say, well, how are we going to pay for this unprecedented unprecedented amount of government spending and right now we're feeling the pain of all this government borrowing all this government spending because of the inflation tax okay so i think a lot of canadians are worried about cost of living but i think there's also a second concern and it's what kind of nation are we going to leave to future generations of taxpayers um if if the budget isn't balanced until 2070 per person debt it will balloon up to $67,000. Now think of that tab that we would be leaving to Canadian kids and Canadian grandkids to pay off. So, I mean, these figures I think are very important. And I, I think certainly as an economic metric, they're significant. But but is there a concern that a lot of them are too abstract for people? I, hmm. I mean, for starters, it's the $16 orange juice phenomenon where people can resonate more and understand more clearly something like that, a small number that you know is absurd. If you were to say to someone, yeah, the debt per person is going to be $50,000 or $60,000, $80,000, I mean, there's a, there's a response to that. Well, what, what should it be? Well, you know, I think you bring up a good point. Uh, certainly when we talk about just how staggering the federal government's debt is, $1 trillion. Um, Andrew, let me just tell you a quick little story. Uh, the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, we're, we're known for uh, bringing our debt clock from coast to coast, showing how the government's debt is going up by the second. Well, even we made a crucial mistake. We underestimated just how much money, other people's money, that politicians could spend. We didn't have enough digits uh, for the $1 trillion Trudeau debt clock. So, I mean, uh, firsthand, I understand that, right? Uh, now, fortunately, we, we're getting a new debt clock. Don't worry, everybody. Um, but, I, but I do understand that point. And, and that's why we do try to break it down into per-person debt. Right now, each Canadian is on the hook for about $30,000 in federal debt. And I think people understand that, I mean, who has money lying around to pay for, for these politicians' uh, credit card bills? Um, and, but Andrew, to your point, I think it is easy to explain the government waste when it's in more understandable numbers. Let me give you a good example of government waste. Um, taxpayers, we spent $8,800, so more than $8,000, on a sex toy show in Germany. <laughs> right? I mean, call me old-fashioned, but if the Germans want to put on their own sex toy extravaganza, just let them pay for it. Yeah, back in my day, you had to pay for your own sex toy extravaganza. That wasn't <laughs> yeah. something you could get. Uh, like, I don't know if Germany paid for one at the Rideau Center or something for Canada, and it's part of some <laughs> cultural exchange of, you know, German sex toys in Canada or Canadian sex toys in Germany. I don't know. Maybe they're made by Bombardier. But the, the reality of this is that for most Canadians, they are stuck with the bill. And, and you talked about inflation. You joined a, a great panel discussion we had on this show a couple of months back on inflation. And I think that's a huge issue where just the the sheer disconnect between the government and the average Canadian household is massive. Well, you know, th first of all, thanks for having me on that panel. I think one of the reasons that politicians are trying to turn a blind eye to the inflation problem is because, well, guess who's behind the inflation problem to a large degree? These politicians. Um, let's just talk about how the Bank of Canada is printing up new dollars to buy up all this Government of Canada debt. 
The Bank of Canada has created $370 billion during the pandemic. And if it sounds like a lot to you, well, it is. That's a 300% growth in the Bank of Canada's assets. And a lot of what the Bank of Canada is buying up with these newly created dollars is Government of Canada bonds, which is just federal debt, right? So it sure seems like Ottawa is using the printing press to finance a good chunk of its deficits, which means that it's devaluing our money and our paychecks in our savings account. Now, now you can see why these politicians obviously don't want to talk about it because they deserve a large part of the blame. And for these politicians to really tackle the inflation problem, well, they're going to have to roll up their sleeves. They're going to actually have to make some tough decisions. They're going to have to show leadership, reduce their own pay, and they're going to have to take on the union bosses. Yeah, and this is where you get into the big problem of, of this, because I would say, going back to your wish list for a moment, some of the things you're calling for here, transparency for corporate welfare, this should be an issue where the Conservatives and the NDP yeah. could work together. The Bloc Québécois, maybe not, because they obviously, as a Quebec-based party, benefit significantly from a lot of these corporate welfare initiatives. But, you know, an Auditor General for spending within First Nations communities, a lot of these things should not be partisan, but in, in so many areas they are. Well, it's really unfortunate. And it, it, like, when are we just going to have some politicians that really work for Canadians rather than this business interest, this union boss interest or their own interest? Because on that list, too, Andrew, and we've talked about this before, is the fact that all members of parliament have received two pay raises during the pandemic. Now, if these politicians were really working for us, it should have been a no brainer to at the very least stop these pandemic pay raises for the MPs, right? Your backbench member of parliament is collecting a lot of dust right now, but he's also, or her, is also collecting an extra $6,900 since the beginning of the pandemic, which is just absolutely absurd when you think of just the carnage that has happened to so many people in the private sector. Job losses, pay cuts, small business owners, right? People who have done everything right their whole life, put money away so that they can reinvest in their community. Well, they've been taking it on the chin, all while their supposed representative in Ottawa has been collecting bigger paychecks. And we've even identified 31 jurisdictions across the world, there's probably more, that at some point had their politicians reduce their own pay. I always like to point to New Zealand because almost immediately, New Zealand's prime minister, ministers, and even top bureaucrats all took a 20% pay cut because they wanted to show solidarity with their struggling taxpayers who are signing their paychecks. There is no reason why we couldn't have seen that in Canada. And just talking about accountability here, one of the items on your wish list uh, we've talked about in the past in the Alberta context, because they move forward with legislation on this, implementing recall for federal politicians. This is something the federal government could do. The cost would be relatively negligible uh, because the cost is only triggered when there is a recall campaign. But, but ultimately, this is something that we haven't heard any discussion about federally. It wasn't in the conservative platform. Federal conservative politicians nor any federal politicians are taking this up. Well, that's why we're starting to talk about it and we're pushing it, right? We, uh, and we have to remember, we've had recall and initiative in British Columbia since 1995 and we've seen some successes there. Uh, fortunately, we just, we just had it passed in Alberta this year. That's a big win for, for taxpayers and accountability in 2021. Andrew, I'd just like to talk about the, one of the key things about Alberta's recall is that it also goes to municipal. So you can hold your councillors and mayors accountable. So that's why we're creating, um, we're, we are creating, uh, trying to create some momentum.
to get it at the federal level as well, because I think uh, we can all agree from coast to coast, uh, one of the places that is lacking transparency and accountability is Ottawa. Yeah, and, and you know, the further removed Ottawa gets from the people it represents, the less accountable and transparent government gets. And I, I'd say the less representative policy passed in Ottawa is of the people it's supposed to be representing. So uh, hugely, hugely beneficial to put uh, direct democracy on the table in that form. Uh, just looking generally speaking, I, I know we've talked about the uh, deficits that are going to be arising for the next 50 years and all the liberal campaign promises. What's the big story you're watching in the year ahead? Well, uh, the big story, and if I can say stories, is going to be spending, borrowing, government borrowing, and inflation. And of course, they're all related. Uh, we've seen inflation numbers quite high in Canada. I think, I think that might be the key economic issue for so many families, right? We're seeing the prices go up uh, in grocery stores. We have seen very high gas prices here in Canada in the fall. And, and and I just think that especially coming off of a time when so many people lost their job, many people took pay cuts, I think a rising cost of living is, is really coming at the worst possible time for so many Canadians. So I think that is going to be uh, perhaps the key economic issue. And, and it'll likely also go into one of the key political discussions. And, you know, I think it's it's very important to, to note here is that this inflation is showing all Canadians that there is no such thing as a free lunch when it comes to government spending, right? This unprecedented amount of spending, uh, this massive amount of borrowing ha has been driving up the cost of living. And on that note uh, is, is another thing we have to keep an eye out on, and that's the tax hikes that we're going to be seeing next year. Um, alcohol taxes are going up again next April. The carbon tax is going up again to 11 cents per liter next April. It turns out the joke is, is going to be on taxpayers again <laughs> April April Fool's Day 2022. One story as well that I'll be paying attention to, and I know you've done a, a lot of work on this, is the gun buyback. So uh, yes. right now the Liberals have racked up huge expenses despite not actually buying a single gun back. Now my approach on this is, is as a firearms owner, whereas I knew you've come at this issue from a, a taxpayer's perspective. But what's interesting here is that the government set when it put this gun ban in place in May of 2020, a two-year amnesty period, which mm. expires in May of 2022. So that's less than six months from now. Canadians were supposed to have that two years or as much of that two years as possible to turn in their guns to the government. Right now, there's not even a mechanism to do that, yet the government's still spending money to administer this non-existent program. Yeah, I mean, it, all the makings of a boondoggle. It really does. And, and I'm not an expert when it comes to guns at all. And I'm not an expert when it comes to public safety. But, you know, I do trust what the what the RCMP union is saying, right? They're the ones who represent the people who are on the front lines keeping us safe. And they say that this gun grab and buyback, it's not going to make Canada safer, right? Because you're not targeting uh, where you need to target the resources, like like gang members, like illegal flow of guns across the border. This gun buyback is targeting legal Canadian gun owners. I mean, let's just think for a second. How many gangsters do you think are going to be showing up to government offices uh, to give back their guns? <laughs> Probably not many, right? Um, it's, but it, it gets even worse than that because you, you also heard the RC, RCMP union say that it could actually make Canada less safe. And that's because it's going to divert resources from actually tackling crime 
to tackling uh, law law abiding citizens. So we, we we hear that it's going to be ineffective, but we also know that it's going to be extremely expensive, and that's where the CTF comes into this, right? Because the the parliamentary budget officer says that well, the cost just to reimburse these gun owners could be up to seven hundred and fifty six million dollars. But even that cost leaves out the biggest cost driver, which is the administration cost, which is the staffing cost. Now, fortunately, we've seen reports from the Fraser Institute that estimate, well, I say fortunately, thank thankfully we're getting some numbers, but unfortunately <laughs> for taxpayers, uh, the cost of administrating this whole thing will, will could be in the billions and billions of dollars. Yeah, fortunately we know, not fortunately <laughs> that we have to pay for it. Well, we'll certainly yes. uh, keep an eye on that, and I know you will as well. Uh, Franco Terrazano with his wish list for taxpayers. All I can say about the things on that list is that we can all dream, and I think we need to as we head into the air ahead. Franco, always a pleasure, sir. Merry Christmas to you. Yeah, Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Thanks for having me on. And we'll certainly have Franco back. He's always been a great friend of the program. And I wondered, I, I was like, you know, I've been having him on a lot lately, but everyone seems to love him and I like him. So uh, you're stuck with him for the year ahead. And I don't think anyone's going to complain about that. With that, we have to bid you adieu. We will be back later this week with more of the Andrew Lawton Show. And then Christmas is just around the corner. We'll talk to you soon, folks. Thank you. God bless and good day. Thanks for listening to the Andrew Lawton Show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news. Thank you.